Welcome to this week's episode of The Full 90. I'm Trisha Mifsud and the gang is back together this week. I think it's been a while since it's been a couple of weeks. So alongside me is Giacomo Bruno and Kieran Ayap. Uh, how's things going with the both of you boys? Good, thanks. Going? I'm sitting here in isolation. So just soaking up some TV and um, catching up on some soccer. Mate, you're living the life. Everyone's living at the moment. <laughs> I don't know. Like it's one thing to have to be at home and, um, you know, if you're homesick, it's pretty crappy. But if you just get to spend a week at home watching Netflix and, or, you know, obviously sport in our cases, it's a good time. Yeah. Could, could be worse situations today, to be honest. Well, the only worst thing about this is, again, last weekend and this weekend, we are being deprived of, uh, of games. Um, at the moment, we've already got three postponements for this weekend in the men's and one in the women's. Let's hope it doesn't increase because one or two A-League games is definitely not that great for a weekend filler when we're all at home. No, no, it's not at all. <laughs> it's the theme of a year. It's been the theme of 2022. Games being postponed. And Gregor Raw came out and said, yeah, it's not going to be the end of it. There's more to come. So what do you do? <laughs> Just the way that the world is. Yeah. It is what it is. The, the They're doing only... their best to keep it running, aren't they? So we've got to be grateful for the, for the efforts they are putting in. But Yeah, I absolutely. Mean, yeah. And at least for our pod's sake, rather than having to pick out the best moments of six games, we only have two games that we can proper dive into. Uh, this weekend saw Melbourne Victory and Adelaide United and also uh, Melbourne City and the Western Sydney Wanderers. Let's start with uh, the Victory and United, the, the original rivalry. Uh, I, I thought that maybe we could have held on, we being us Victory supporters, but... um. In 90th minute, good old Craig Goodwin found that equaliser. But I think I think it was a score that reflected the game. Um, Adelaide hung in there the entire time. And, um, you know, and then also in saying that Victor's goal wasn't until, you know, the final 10 minutes either. But, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a battle to, to find the back of the net. It was a dull affair until the final 10 minutes of that one. It was, <laughs> it was a slog. Um, Coming into the game, I was expecting a close one. Um, it was close, but I was expecting an exciting game in Sena. Look, obviously, the midweek fixture, you saw the victory and Adelaide have a good hit out in the FFA Cup and came to this game and it just did not live up to this height at all until the final 10 minutes. And it wasn't until Nick Diagostino scored in the 84th minute. That was the first shot on target the entire match. <laughs> like They could not hit a side of a barn for the, for the most of the game. And Adelaide left it right late. I think like they should the goal early they got disallowed should have counted. So Adelaide United probably feeling unlucky they didn't come away with all three points. The victory, I'd say they probably come away happy they secured a point. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I wasn't able to watch the game live, but you know, refreshing the scores and just seeing nothing had happened. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, fair enough. And then looking at the stats to see that the stats even showed that nothing was happening. You know, I'm also not too disappointed I didn't watch it live, to say the least. Yeah, it was, it was largely a experimental game for both sides. Adelaide United aren't having their full-strength team out and they've got players that are going to be departing. So it was, let's play some kids that haven't had many minutes this year and see what they've got. And the victory had the, had the same deal. They were playing Jay Barnett as a fullback, which seems to be a good move going forward. I feel like in central midfield, he gets exposed a bit and I feel like playing him at fullback hides his weaknesses and he seems like a lot better of a fullback than he does in midfield. And you wouldn't think that that was his first time playing the position at senior level. No, I definitely agree. And I think Barnett has had potential. He just never had 
that extra oomph, you could say, that found him a spot, you know, regularly in the 11, you know, was always on the bench and would pretty much get some minutes. But, you know, he had the opportunity to play elsewhere and see, you know, if it was a good fit for him. And it, it may have proved well. And again, I think it's a bit of a homage to uh, Popovich for uh, giving these younger players a go and um, just seeing what happens yeah, absolutely. And I think it's just, it's good to have competition. I feel like in that left back position, it was really Jason Davidson and no one else. I think it's even good for David just now. All right, I've got some competition here. I can't get too comfortable. I can't get complacent because I've got players on my table that can get switched into that position and play just as well. It's a really good goal by um by Craig Goodwin though, to, to finish off the game. Like, it's the perfect hit. Yeah, it was in that final 10 minutes, Adelaide were coming and it was always going to be a matter of when, not if they'd actually find the net. I mean, a couple of minutes early, they did find the net. And luckily, very are Dean, but Stefan Mork interfered with Ka- with um, Calabar on the way into the goal. So victory dodged a bullet there. So I feel like it was a, a lot happened in the final 10 minutes, but for the large part, it wasn't a great game. And um, I think Issa East got red carded in, con- no, I wouldn't say controversial, pretty bizarre circumstances. So they've scored. And he's gone, vamos. And then the referee's been near me. The referee thought he told him to F off and then sent him off for um, dissent. So I don't know. I heard they were going to appeal. I haven't yet to hear word on what the decision was. So that'd be just, if there's ever a time for Adelaide United to need senior players on the pitch, now is the time. And they're going to be without another one if he, the red card stands. I don't know what, what they can appeal there, though. If the ref thinks he heard it, he thinks he heard it. That's that's all we can really go on. Like, Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what you can really appeal on there if you think the ref heard you say the wrong thing. Yeah, it's just so, so bizarre, I guess. Just, you just never don't really... yell anywhere near the ref, really. Yeah, lesson learned. <laughs> Another thing I want to discuss from this game, um, this would be something we probably would have spoken about further down the pod in other instances, but the importance of it, I think, will push it forward. And that is um, in the homophobic abuse and the death threats that Josh Cavallo was... Uh, subjected to by what we assume I think is victory fans um, at the game over the weekend. All I can say is that I'm utterly disgusted that this is a type of um, treatment he received. Uh, I'm not just talking as a victory fan, but regardless who it, um, who it was, this is something that we just shouldn't see anymore. Um, I'm glad to see that Adelaide United have contacted the South Australian police to investigate exactly what has been happening. Um, these specific death threats were received via social media. You know, you call them keyboard warriors, but it's, I'm just in utter shock that this is still the type of treatment that, you know, people you know in the community uh, are being subjected to. It's just, it's just not on anymore. It's just embarrassing. You think better. You think better of humans that they can act the way they act, and then you don't. And it's not just. It doesn't make me angry. It just makes me embarrassed and just just sad that this still goes on. I think like for him to come out was a very big thing, and like he's playing some good football at the back on the back of it, and just for him to just cop this was is just not necessary. It's not needed. It's embarrassing for me as well, being a victory fan. Like I'm associated with this event, having to hear like stuff like that coming out and i'm absolutely happy that he's came out and called everyone out for it and has just not been silent on the matter just gone hey i've heard like i'm aware this is happening because i'm calling you out for it and this is not acceptable which i'm really glad he's coming out to do because it's absolutely people need to be called out for this i think there has to be some real world consequences too from from the club and the um uh football football australia and the leagues as well like it, it can't be that hard to identify who it was and they really should have a life ban it shouldn't be a second chance and it shouldn't be 
anything except a life ban from the stadiums at this point, really. It's it's not something that, that people haven't been aware that it's wrong to do. It's not something, mm. you know what I mean? It's not a new issue, yeah, but it's I, something that's been at the forefront and has to be, like, stepped on quickly. I completely second that, Kieran. I was about to say that it should be life bans. Those people who took to social media to hand out the abuse will be a lot more easier to catch, I guess, than maybe those who are at the stadium giving the homophobic abuse. Um, it just, look, it's never been excusable, but, you know, let's look at, you know, the Adam Good situation in the AFL where these sort of thing, people being abused for their race or their sexuality, their gender, whatever it may be, it was still very much a learning experience back there. Please, what I'm saying, I'm not saying it was excusable in that time either, but from then to now, we've learned so much more. There are so many more people who are identifying and as not different, but, you know, as whatever sexuality it may be or more accepting of their race and and their culture where you should just know to accept it you know you they're not affecting anybody else it sounds so cliche but if it's got nothing to do with you and it doesn't hurt you in any way leave it alone it's as simple as that yeah well absolutely like i don't see what the problem of it is like his own teammates have been very accepting of it his band base for the large part has i mean look he's even gotten support from across the world from other football stars overseas in europe so just I don't, it's not necessary. If you're going to, I guess, have an opinion on him for his footballing ability, then that's valid. Everyone deserves criticism if they're not performing. But for stuff that's not pitch performance or like off-field incidences, then you really shouldn't be having an opinion on what they do in their private life. It's just knuckleheads being knuckleheads though, isn't it? Like they're not, they don't really care if there's a good reason for doing it. They're just just trying to hurt the guy and trying to hurt anyone that that stands with him. Backing up what you said, G, uh, I totally agree. Like if it was his football, that was, you know, not on par fair enough but I think since being at United he's playing some of his best football as well so I really hope that he doesn't let any of this you know mentally get to him and we see you know his performance um be affected by that because I think he's finally found his feet at at Adelaide and regularly being in their starting 11 and you know being able to play you know he's obviously more comfortable now and to be himself now that he's come out and you know you would just hate for some knuckleheads to quote Kieran to be the ones that affect that. Yeah, absolutely. Or anybody else coming after him too. So like it's it's more than just him. It's anybody else who was inspired by him might be affected adversely by it as well. It's just something that, that the whole community just has to step on quickly because information is out there. It's, it's really easy to know what not to do and what's not acceptable now. Yeah, well, yeah. there might be another footballer who, you know, was inspired by Josh's story to come out and then see how he's just been treated over the weekend and have, put a standstill on that and that's definitely not what should be happening you know when Josh came out it was encouraging everybody else you know not that we were hoping but I honestly thought that whether it be now or in the near future more footballers or more sportsmen would come out to say that they're gay and happily admit that and be comfortable to tell the world that they are the other game over the weekend as mentioned was Melbourne City and the Western Sydney Wanderers and this one was also a draw uh bit more exciting we had six goals um across that game uh this match was a round 26 fixture played earlier i think that was a smart move just to make sure that some games played this season uh what did we make of this game boys maybe there is starting to be a correlation now but when carl robertson coaches the team don't perform as well (laughs) (laughs) he wasn't on the touchline this week um the assistants were taking control and they seem to be playing better in his absence uh like i don't want to be playing it to theories or anything like that but it seemed like a different western sydney on the weekend this is the western sydney i expected at the start of the season. 2-0 up within the opening few minutes. The key man, Jack Rodwell, got on the score sheet. I was thinking, Naya, 
flying here. They should have won. They should have got a penalty late in the game for a handball that wasn't paid on. Obviously, Melbourne City, the, the strongest squad in the A-League on paper. So, obviously, they fought back, eventually made it a free or draw. It was a very exciting game. A six-goal encounter, which was very exciting and easily the game of the week. Yeah, and the goals were pretty spread out other than the first two and the 10 minutes from Western Sydney. So, you're always sort of on the edge of the couch, like anticipating something to happen. Yeah, what all about ebbs and flows of Western Sydney. Got the jump. Melbourne City came back. Melbourne City hit the front. Western Sydney hit back as well. So it was a game of momentums and teams were just fighting it out, which was good. This is what you want to see. You want to see competitive, high-attacking football, which we saw in the game in this match. Yeah, and I like as well that City score um, goals came from three individuals rather than just from, uh, obviously, McLaren did you find the back of the net, but, you know, you also had Tilio and Pachatos um, who were able to convert as well. Tilio has been really good this season and showed some signs. And you know what? This is good. It puts pressure on Matthew Leckie, who's yet to have a real scoring impact. It puts pressure on him now. Because he was, he was a soccer international who had a great resume coming in, playing in Europe and abroad. And he's coming and he's just not hit the ground running. I think it's five games now, zero assists, zero goals. And then you've got Tilio who has been having an impact. So it gives, that gives it, that's a good headache. That's now Kisnorbo who was at the start of the, in the press conference saying, like, Tilio is not an instant starter. He has to earn his spot. It looks like he's going to be earning it now. So if Tilio takes Leckie's spot, in the city side, does Lucky keep his spot in the Socceroos side? Um, you, you suggest not. Yeah, <laughs> if that's the case. Well, maybe. Well, maybe this is a good thing. Maybe Mark Atilio plays all right, and then Graham Arnold goes. You know what? I'm picking Tilio. He played a right in the Olympics. He's playing a right this year. He's the man in form. I'm picking him. I'm leaving Lecky out of the team. He's got a bit of X factor about him, Tilio. Like he can, he can pull something out of nothing, can't he? Yeah, he's he's been really exciting this year. He's been a young talent. I didn't personally think coming to the start of the season. But he would be have would have the impact he's had. I'd think he'd just be he'd be playing the the Agostino role a bit. He'd come off the bench, play half an hour, play twenty minutes, try and nick a goal. But he's been really good when he's been starting. He's having an impact. Yeah, and I like that he's um a bit of a he's a highlights player. Like he's he does more than that, obviously. But he's the sort of player that he creates little viral moments. And even people who don't follow Melbourne City closely, they'll come across what he does, and it, it'll force them to watch the league a little bit. Yeah, well, he adds a new dimension in the attack. Like they're not predictable anymore. It's not like all right, McLaren, it's McLaren, the boot, the McLaren. It's like all right now they've got Tilio. Like he yeah. adds like a bit now, so which is good. That's what you want. Look, and that could have had Lecky as well in the mix as well if he actually had been doing something. You know, for to have four potential options going forward. I mean. Not that you'd probably play all four in a starting line, but I'm quite surprised Kira and I were having a little bit of a chat about it before we started recording. That it just, he hasn't lived up to the hype, to say the very least. Yeah, He's not the first one either. Like back in the day, Harry Kill sort of struggled his first season and didn't really catch fire. And only Jason Kalina was another one before that who came over at his peak and still... I mean, Gold Coast had their other issues, but he's not the first international player to come here and, and sort of struggle to catch fire when he, when he first arrives. You just don't want it to be like in the next couple of weeks, Matthew Leck is like, yes, they call me 007, zero goals, zero assists, seven games. Like he, he needs <laughs> to have some semblance of an impact soon, surely. Because yeah. even see now if the Wanderers are like... Um, Rodwell started off slow, but he's starting to come into it. Terry Antona started off slow. He's coming in with it. What is it? Um, Toma Hamed. The team has struggled, but he's played consistently every game. So, look, it's not as if players can't come in and have an immediate impact that we did expect out of Leckie. That was about it for A-League men's action over the weekend. Uh, we were lucky, though. We had a little bit more going on in round six of the A-League women. Kieran, do you want to take us through the games at the weekend? Yeah, we had four games, and I honestly don't know how they're managing to stay COVID-free. They're doing a really good job, the players, whether it's done by dumb luck or staying inside when they're not playing. <laughs> but we had four games, and um, 
they were all pretty predictable results. We had Can- um, Canberra United lose to Adelaide 3-1. Canberra are kind of struggling this season and they don't really have their first choice defence from last year at all. But And their forwards are struggling to hit the target. So Adelaide are on the way up and Canberra is struggling. So that was a pretty predictable result. Sydney, I didn't expect them to beat Perth by 4-0, but I did think they were going to win. But 4-0 was pretty comprehensive and it's sort of a reality check for Perth as well, who... Still a pretty looking pretty good for top four, I think. Brisbane versus Western Sydney was a really good game. It's better than a 1-0 suggests because it was a very cagey sort of tactical match between the two. And um, the Wanderers are starting to, to show that they can play the game plan that Catherine Canooley wants and grind out results. So they're looking okay, the Wanderers. And they're another one that basically anything below first, which is Sydney's, is anyone's to grab. And they're one of the ones that are in the mix for it. And then we had um, Melbourne City versus Wellington. And that was another one that, I didn't think it was going to be that sort of result and Wellington came out to fight early on in the game, but City just had the talent to run over them in the end. Will Wellington win a game this season? Like I understand it's their first season and they're going to have, a, they're going to have their struggles, but I know they've been good in patches, but the results just have not gone their way at all. No, they, they struggle to build attacks. They, they fight really hard and their defenses are actually pretty good one-on-one and they're very good with the ball, but they, they don't put enough pressure on the opposition the other way. So it just it sort of becomes a matter of time before they leak goals. But having said that, Melbourne Victory are now playing with only two defenders for the rest of the season. So, I mean, if there's going to be a game that it can happen, it's very possibly that one. That's it. Which would probably be a good confidence booster, I guess, beating the reigning premiers. Uh, um, I think a lot of Victory fans that you speak to at the games are kind of nervous that that's going to be the one because it's not what you want to lose to Wellington. I don't know. I still think Victory have enough talent up front to beat them but if it's going to happen it's probably going to be that match do we it's know not, not what you want <laughs> do we know when that game is scheduled off the top of your head kieran uh not off the top of my head but okay. it could be any time really it could be any time it's all up in the air at the moment <laughs> at the moment it's scheduled for the 6th of february i think okay yeah i definitely yeah. know it's not this weekend because victory are coming up to the wanderers i'm pretty sure which also got postponed <laughs> oh that one did get postponed yeah, um, one of three matches that got postponed this week. So the matches have been postponed for the men in round 10 is MacArthur, Western United is not going ahead. Perth and Wellington is not going ahead. And Western Sydney Wanderers, as the victory, as we just said a minute ago, that's not going ahead. So the double header, are we saying? I think the women's game's still going ahead. Yeah, because I know no. it was originally supposed to be a double header, but... Yeah, I believe the women are still going ahead. The, the victory aren't, though. Yeah, the women are still yeah. going ahead. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. So that leaves us then with... Three matches so far. I mean, there's still a couple of days where things could change. We have Central Coast and Newcastle, Adelaide and Melbourne City, as well as Sydney and Brisbane this weekend. Uh, what are we anticipating from uh, these men's matches? So if I have to make quick predictions, I'll probably say the Mariners beat just edgy at Newcastle. That's going to be a good game. Every derby is always going to be a fiery contest and hopefully this one should deliver. I'm going to say the Mariners win probably 1-0. It it'll, it'll be very reminiscent of victory versus Adelaide last week. Adelaide versus Man City, obviously, early in the year, had a really good game. I'm expecting nothing less. It would be a nice free-flowing attacking game there. Then Sydney-Brisbane, I'm saying Sydney will win. They beat Brisbane in the FFA Cup early in the week, and I'll probably win again on the weekend. Adelaide playing Man City, did you say, G? That's a bit different. This <laughs> <laughs> Melbourne City football group, and they've got too many cities. <laughs> You just say city. Yeah, I'm just gonna just say city from now on. It'd just be sad. No, I definitely would agree. I see Central Coast getting up against Newcastle. I think Adelaide will 
really compete against City. I think being um, at home helps them out a little bit. Um, a Sydney-Brisbane game, you'd like to think Sydney would get on top of them as well, I would And as we briefly touched on at the moment, no, none of the women's games have been postponed. Uh, what can we expect this weekend, Kieran? Uh, it's hard to tell with some of these games because there have been the odd postponement and um, the fact that some Matildas have gone away to national team duty kind of throws a spanner in the works for a lot of clubs. Uh, so first up, there's Adelaide versus City, and that's going to be another really good game because City are looking like genuine title contenders and Adelaide are looking to secure their spot in the top four. So win for Adelaide, he would be huge, and City without Winona Heatley and Holly McNamara from their squad who are now national team players. Then there's um, Sydney versus Canberra, and um, even missing their two strikers, Sydney should win pretty easily there. Then we've got Wellington versus Brisbane, and this is... Slightly more interesting than it looks. I don't think Wellington can win, but Brisbane have been having some trouble finding back of the net this season, so they could get a result here if they have some luck. Then we've got Western Sydney versus Melbourne Victory, and this is going to be another tricky one for Melbourne Victory. With Cody Nevin gone, it leaves them down with to just two defenders in the squad. And without Kyra Cooney-Cross, who would have been suspended anyway, they have a big gap in the midfield. And with Lynn Williams gone back to America, they have a slight problem up forward. So... Anything could happen here, but I think Western Sydney might probably get a win with their full strength side in. And then we've got Newcastle versus Perth. And I think Perth will get up here, but Newcastle, another one that are looking like they could get into a top four position. And even without Emily Van Egmond, I think they're still looking like the stronger side. They didn't rely on her this season. They just sort of had her in as a bonus. And just, they're looking like they can beat most teams they come up against, especially on their home turf. So it'll be a really good game either way. Before we move on to other news in the world of football, we have a couple of results from the quarterfinals of the FFA Cup. And we also have news of a name change uh, after this uh, season. G, do you want to take us through the finals and uh, what our new name for the FFA Cup is? Yes. So no longer FFA Cup, now Australia Cup. Very, Plus that um, one team. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, geez, what a what a name <laughs> what a name change that was. <laughs> when I saw it, I was like, "Are we just forgetting that there are a New Zealand team that play with us?" <laughs> I'd love. I'd, I'd like to think that Football Australia's whoever was part of this committee of this name change at a desk, and some guy was just on his phone, bored, and just like, "Oh, Australian Open." Hey guys, I got an idea. <laughs> Australia Cup. What do we reckon? <laughs> Well, I think they had to change it eventually because, like, it was Football Federation Australia. Now it's just Football Australia, and they can't call it the FA Cup. So, I mean, they had to change it to something. But I think this is better than the sponsor's name, I guess, isn't it? It's better than like the Harvey Norman Cup or something. Yeah, that's a fair point. I prefer Australian Cup. Yeah, I guess in that sense, at least it doesn't have a sponsor name. Anyway, so we had the final quarter final fixture played out yesterday. It was. Sydney FC and the Brisbane Raw. Sydney got up 1-0. Alvis Kemsober, the goal scorer. I'll say this every time Alvis Kemsober has a scoring contribution for Sydney FC. Where was this at the victory? Oh, it is irking <laughs> me so much to see his name pop Different up. Player. <laughs> Different player. Different It's unbelievable what putting a person in a new environment under new systems, under a manager who knows what they're doing, actually does. It's unbelievable sometimes. So... It was a pretty even game in the wet. Um, Brisbane had 17 shots. Sydney had 14. So plenty of attacking opportunities for both sides despite the crappy conditions. Um, yeah, look, Brisbane had its chances, squandered them. Sydney took theirs and that's the end of it. Now, Sydney, they are into the semifinals. They'll be taking on the Mariners. And then the victory face off Wellington Phoenix in the other semifinal clash. So 
Wellington Phoenix are well in the hunt for their first ever piece of silverware since joining the A-League and Central Coast looking for their first piece of silverware since 2013. So might be their last chance as well because maybe they're getting the boot from the Australian Cup. Who knows? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I believe if the Phoenix go on to win this thing, they don't even get to qualify for the Asia Cup. No, they don't. Asia Champions League, sorry, which was the whole big prize, the whole silver lining of winning this whole tournament. So... It'd be great to win this silver, get a piece of silver for the club, but it's probably going to be pretty meaningless for them overall, uh, apart from the prize money, I guess, because they're not going to be in any Asian club action. The poor irony for this club, who have practically held the league together, were willing to move across to Australia to make sure that we could still play some football. And this is the treatment that they get. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know how we threatened to kick you out and then you've survive and come back and prove that you're a strong team yeah well we're not gonna reward you for that we're just gonna um you know give you this trophy but you're not gonna do anything with it (laughs) i know we shouldn't be laughing about this but you just see like how much they've tried and you know contributing to some sort of a successful season and and then this is the treatment that they get so i mean it's it's pretty crappy but i don't know i feel like it is what it is at this stage yeah i think they'll mind i think they they just want to get something Look, I wouldn't be too mad if they were the side to beat victory in these semifinals as well. If it means oh, they get some sort no, of no, considering that Sydney FC is the other threat, <laughs> I'd rather lose to the Phoenix than lose to the Sydney FC. Oh, for sure. And then we'll see uh, Wellington Phoenix and Central Coast. So I'm all for that. We'll move on to now what's making the news in football. We'll start off with just a quick short one. Um, it's been confirmed that Reese Williams has suffered a hamstring tear and unfortunately is going to be sidelined for a little bit of a, a lengthy period. Pretty unfortunate. For, um, you don't really see too many injuries in football where, um, you know, you get a pretty long um, sidelined um, because of it. So we're wishing him all the best. Gee, there was something that you noticed though during the week. I'm not going to throw him under the bus. I won't name names, but... If you listen to this, you know who you are. <laughs> Someone went the early crow and published that Reese Williams did his ACL and had to do a quick change when the club came out and said he'd done his hamstring. So over the weekend, Reese Williams, captain, centre-back, did his hamstring. This is not good news for the Wanderers who in a season where everything that could have gone wrong has gone wrong. And then, yeah, so someone went to the early crow thought, I'll get in here. I reckon he's done his knee. And then wrote about how he did his ACL and then had to change it to say actually what the actual injury was. But in a more serious light, this is not good news. This is the least, the, sorry, the last thing that the Wanderers needed that, oh, this is more serious than we actually thought he was going to be. He did get stretched off, but it's, the, the death is now starting to take a hit and, they build such a premiership contention team and it doesn't look like it's going to eventuate. Even finals is looking hard now, despite such a encouraging performance over the weekend. Because he's such a vital part to the defense. It's his first season. He's had to have a tough job of trying to just get this team that's been inconsistent and out of form, just get something out of him. And he's been leading from the back, trying his best, but now he's out. And I think the wonder is they're in a bit of trouble now. There's also been some transfer news in our January transfer window. Former Manchester United uh, Ferguson recruit 
uh, in Scott Rudin has signed with the Wellington Phoenix, making it the Phoenix's second signing for this month. Uh, he joins the club um, after more than a decade of playing over in England. Uh, and from what I understand, it's a season-long deal that he'll spend with the Phoenix. Yes, so the Phoenix, they had a big turnover in players and needed an experienced head and Wooden fits the bill. He's recently played with Morecambe in the lower tiers of the English, in the English league. He's had a, he's got a decent resume of playing against for the lower clubs. He came up through the ranks at Man United, never did actually play a game for him just because that team was just too far too strong. Um, Listen, he's an experienced player. He's played at some decent competitive levels. They need a bit of experience. They need someone that's going to steady the ship at the back. And I think he fits the bill. He has actually played Champions League for them, yeah. just not an English Premier League game. So he's, 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 he's been games, trusted on the, on the big stage a couple of times. Just no no Premier League teams games though. Yeah, yeah that's what that I meant. Like, he was never going to really get a look in with that team that was always constantly fighting for championships under Fergus. And he was never going to really get a look in during the EPL season. And then with the Reds, they've brought back one of their old players, Lachlan Brook, who's currently signed with Premier League side Brentford. He was not going to really get a look in there, didn't get a look in the championship. So he's looking for some regular football and he's on loan with Adelaide, which I believe is a good move. It was rumours during the week that they were on the lookout for an Aussie striker and he is the man. So with Stephen Mork stepping away, with Ben Halloran stepping away, they've added some extra firepower, which was probably going to be really needed. So we'll look for stories across the pond on the other side of the continent. And in the English FA Cup, uh, we've had a giant killing. Newcastle United, who are currently the richest club in the world since their transfer takeover. I believe that's how you'd say club takeover. They've got I new owners so. that came in last year, the Saudis. So we're thinking high hopes for Newcastle. They'd signed Kieran Trippier and they lost 1-0 in his first game. <laughs> <laughs> to Cambridge United, Joe Ironside scoring for United, and shock result. Um, Newcastle United play close to a full strength side. If you were ever going to get one, the only play that probably isn't a Premier League regular in that was Kraft, who was the, one of the centre backs. Um, great, great upset here. Uh, it's probably one. It's probably the best victory Cambridge United have had in their club history. Certainly in recent history, obviously they um had a competitive fixture against Manchester United in a couple of years ago, but this is a great result and it's not looking good for Newcastle in the league. Their big takeover, we thought sunny days were ahead, good times were ahead. They're currently in a relegation battle out of the FA Cup. Jeez, won't that be hilarious? They get, they get relegated and spend billions of dollars buying a club for it to be in the, the first division. Oh, well, they're going to be the richest championship club ever be, but they're just going to be signing championship players. Sorry, they're going to be signing Champions League quality players playing in the championship and Newcastle United and relegation isn't something that's new to them. They've suffered a, I believe this would be their third relegation in the past 10 years. We'll look closer now at our national Aussies and how they're going this week. The Matildas made their squad announcement. Uh, What's that looking like Kieran? It's an interesting one. Um, There were a few surprise selections like Holly McNamara from Melbourne city, but um, that's only because she hasn't been in the mix. On stats and on performance, she definitely deserves to be there. And it shows there's some, um, uh, like there's, there's a lot of integrity in the selection process in some regards. They are a little light on midfielders. Um, they've only listed four midfielders. Uh, so who knows what the formation is going to look like. It's going to be very interesting to see how they manage that. But the big surprise is Ivy Lewitt coming back from international retirement. She's been in stellar form in Europe in a club side and uh, she can play multiple positions in the same game. So it's a big end to have her back. 
but it was something that no one saw coming for sure. Yeah, and some they've got some players in that squad playing their first game, so it looks like Gustavan is just trying to see what this talent pool of Australian talent is like, and he's gotten more deputons this time. Yeah, well, he's he's sort of in two minds. He's been pretty insistent that he goes in every tournament aiming to win it, and he hasn't like bringing Louis back is a big signal that he's he's aiming for short term success here in this tournament. But also bringing in players like McNamara and uh, keeping players like Charlie um, Charlie Grant in the squad, even though they're not guaranteed starters, shows that he is thinking towards 2023 and beyond that as well to the next Olympic campaign. So he's trying to rebuild and get short-term results at exactly the same time. And it'll take a pretty big balancing act to do it. But he showed in the Olympics he can actually do that too when he brought through Mary Fowler and Kyrie Green Cross while getting Australia's best ever tournament result there. Yeah, well, I think he's made an interesting signing in, sorry, not signing, interesting selection in bringing in Courtney Vine into the team because you'd feel like Hawksby was probably more the prolific one and probably more deserving of getting selected ahead of her. Vine's statistically the best player in, in the A-League women's, like, it's not even close. She has the most goals, most assists, most successful dribbles. She's just in a league of her own, literally. Hawksby, I'm surprised she wasn't in because she's been the best midfielder and they've only taken four midfielders. I'm just wondering if maybe four games of being in form, in really good form, is enough to, to get you selected for Matilda's midfield. Although he has taken back Namara, so evidently he can be. It's a bit of a mystery, that one, for a lot of people. Hawksby's been phenomenal. And apparently she wasn't really included in the 30-player the shortlist before the squad was announced either. And looking at the Socceroos as well, for not that any official um, teams or squads have been named, but uh, Gray and Arnold has... Um, labelled old veteran uh, Aaron Moyers priceless um, and that he is expected to return in an attacking role with um, as the World Cup is literally on the wire. Yeah, so they've got two qualifying games coming up in the next couple of weeks against Vietnam and Oman and they need to win both of them. Victories are absolutely crucial and very seemingly he'd been out of form, had been injured in the previous Socceroos camp. Graham Arnold is backing in his man. He's saying, nah, he needs to be in his team. He's absolutely what we need. He brings everything. This is the guy. And Moy, he's been in form in the last three games in the Chinese Super League. So let's hope that if Arnold repays the faith, Moy delivers on the international stage. And he needs to because this is just, as I said before, victories are crucial. I just want to throw this little thing in here that is totally not anything educational or knowledgeable about um, soccer. Growing up, I always thought Aaron's last name was Moe, and I'm really sad that it was only the last couple of years I can confirm that I realized it was Moe. I just thought <laughs> I'd throw that in there, have a bit of a giggle, but I am still to this day will privately call him Aaron Moe, not anything other than my crappy pronunciation that we all know on this body. <laughs> I always wondered that about, um, about um, Matt Mackay. Like, is he Dutch or are we pronouncing his name wrong? Yeah, he's not the only Mackay that's Dutch. There was like a Bayern Munich player back in the day, but it was Roy Yeah, Mackay. but he, he was from Holland, but was Matt Mackay from, from Holland or was were we I just calling that because we were, we were obsessed with Dutch football at the time in Australia? I don't believe so. <laughs> I always thought it was Mackay. <laughs> yeah. It is Mackay. I mean, anyone else you run into in Australia is Mackay, but we were all calling him Mackay at the time. And if anyone who's listening to this knows Matt, Matt Mackay or Matt Mackay and can confirm how to pronounce his name, then love to hear it. I know. I think it's one thing for us, as long as we spell names right, it's okay. But I feel like pronunciation, especially when you're covering a sport that's worldwide, we're bound to get some wrong here and there. I've never seen Moy 
like the name Moy anywhere else except Aaron Moy either. So, I mean, I, I, I think it's acceptable to say it wrong. Yeah, you're going to get one or two wrong. We're not all Les Murray here who just gets it all perfect. In saying that, I think it's time to wrap up this week's pod. Of course, so we don't leave without throwing in a bit of an obscure story, um, one to make us laugh. I'll bring this in. So in it, as we mentioned, FFA Cup earlier, Brisbane versus Sydney. Sydney up 1-0. It's deep into stoppage time. Brisbane have a corner. It is the last big chance to get an equaliser. They've brought the keeper up. Jay O'Shea takes the corner and kicks it into the fans. He didn't. It didn't even come into the field of play. I. It would be. He did more, it from the, the wrong side too. Like it's not it like would it was be more, one. <laughs> It was harder to do what he did than to actually hit the spot he wanted to hit. Yeah. I don't know if it was wind. I know the weather conditions are just horrible. He. Just, what a shape. I've got it in front of me right now, and oh, I have watched it, but it. It's a very. Good watch, to say the least. Like, it's from the other side. I get it because you can hook it too far. But how do you actually, unless you hit it with the outside of your foot, how does that, I don't know. I don't know the physics behind that. I, I, I love as well that um, the FFA Cup tweeted it, um, you know, goalkeeper comes up for it. And then this happens with the the straight um, mouth emoji. Like, they even know it's like, <laughs> oh, what the hell has just happened? <laughs> FFFA Cup media admin and me had the very similar thoughts because you, I'm always the fan who gets overly excited when the keeper comes up because you're thinking, oh, how good is this going to be if he's the one that gets it in? Like, you know, oh, it means business happen, here. Yeah. You know, oh, it means business here. The keeper's come up for it. And then that happened. It was just so anticlimactic. All right. Yeah, it'd be hard to do if you tried. Oh, he would never do that again. He'll, hit it, he'll probably <laughs> hit it sweetly from now on, knowing after that. If you haven't watched uh, what the goal or the goal attempt that we're talking about, make sure you jump online and give that a watch. But other than that, that wraps up this week's episode of The Full 90. Thanks so much for joining us again this week. I know that it's been a bit difficult with the lack of football, particularly in Australia, but doing our best to bring as much coverage as we can. And I've uh, once again enjoyed being alongside both you, G and Kieran. All right. All good. I'll see you guys next week. Thank you very much. We'll see you then.